Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Film Junk Podcast for Tuesday, March 7th, 2023. This is episode number 886, and my name is Sean. And my name is Jay. And my name is Frank. Coming up on this week's episode, we've got a review of Creed 3. We're also going to get into maybe some other stuff we watched. That's how it happens around here. So thanks for uh, tuning in. Thanks for checking out the show. How are you guys doing this week? I'm doing okay. Frank, how are you? Just splendid. Uh, well, we got to give a birthday shout out to Zach. Oh yeah. Happy birthday, Zach. Today. <laughs> Literally today. Uh, it's been a, like way too long since we've had Zach on. We got to get him back on at some point. Maybe we got to finally review the, uh, the new James Gray film. It's only, mm. we're only like six months late on that one, but <laughs> you could have done 80 for Brady. That's true. Uh, but yeah, happy birthday, Zach. Um, we do. So maybe an interesting little, uh, difference in the show this week. I mean, you might not know it. Yet. Not really. <laughs> I mean, t- unless you know, the podcast, the film junk podcasts, you know, over the years, we've we've had different music for intro and outro every week. And that's been cool. It's been fun. But, uh, you know, then we started getting some, well, it all kind of started with ball junk, right? Ball junk started getting some copyright notices from Spotify. And, you know, I guess at some point we're expecting film junk probably will too. So... We thought it was probably time to just have a standard theme song. Whatever their scanning process is, it seems like it's alphabetical and starting with very high profile artists. Because it was like ABBA and ACDC, I think, that got got flagged. So they might be working their way through the alphabet. So that's, I mean, kind of expected it to happen at some point. But uh, yeah, so anyway, we do have a theme song, an official film junk theme song and uh you know if you're interested the artist is bruce hack the song is called electric to me turn and it's from an album called the electric lucifer from 1970 i believe jay is that right yeah so this is like vintage stuff right here guys big time you're gonna love it he's a it's a hacker (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i was in as soon as i heard the name but um yeah Canadian artist as well. Oh, cool. Didn't know that. Early electronic pioneer. Um, and big thanks to my pal, John Shouten, who runs Telephone Explosion Records, who handles the uh, has handled the reissue of some of Bruce Hack's records, including the one that this track is from, and helped us uh, negotiate the deal, the big deal with the... Uh, the uh, forces that be, <laughs> you know. Oh God! Yeah. Noise, and it's the outro. <laughs> the outro song as well, right? Yeah. Noise. Wow. Noise. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe Jay will be uh, mashing up some some soundboard clips with it in the future. We can only hope. But, well, that's uh, why I, I think we need to start playing the intro music live, so I can jam over it a little bit (laughs) i'd be fine with that we could probably figure out a way to do that so um yeah hack the hack (laughs) yeah man uh okay so a couple other things to mention uh we do have a 
new trailer reaction up on Patreon. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. More of a psychoanalyzing Frank, but uh, that's <laughs> yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. So, you know, if you want to hear our thoughts on that, and I mean, that's all anyone is talking about right now. It's absolutely huge. So uh, check that out. Patreon. Also, if you want to hear thoughts on skateboarders. <laughs> uh, Might be some thoughts on skateboarders in there. My yeah. old thoughts when I was uh, in grade nine. Well, okay. Backtracking a little <laughs> bit, but that's okay. <laughs> and uh, also for patrons, we have a new premium coming out of the vault uh, this week. The Screamium is coming out of the vault just in time for Scream 6. What's up, Frank? You're... I thought we were still up for debate a bit, so I didn't know we were going official oh, with it. Okay, well, <laughs> scratch We need that. to talk about this for an hour. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's hopefully going to be there for you. Um, and also got to mention the Oscars. This Sunday, the, uh, the Oscar pool details are up. So check that out. It's, it's up on Patreon. It's up in the Discord Um the Oscar chat channel, as well as the general channel. And if you're not looking at any of those, filmjunk.com slash Oscar pool will take you directly to the entry form. And once again, $50 Amazon gift card up for grabs and bragging rights for the year. Do we have it pinned on the discord? The link for that, maybe in the Oscar chat, we should do that at some point. I think I did pin it in the Oscar chat channel. I don't know about the general one, but yeah, hopefully you can find it if you're looking for it. And, uh, and hopefully you'll be joining us in the discord this Sunday, if you're going to be watching because, uh, it'll be fun. So if you're not on discord yet, time to make that happen. Will it live up to last year's epic chat? Probably. I don't think I can. So I better, better bail this year it'll never be that again what was epic about it the slap happened people oh right right (laughs) right (laughs) yeah Yeah. i guess i also um i know there was some discussion about like one of the things that sucks about watching it with a bunch of people is everybody's on a different feed people are seeing things earlier than other people like i don't know if there's a way we can actually share it within the discord but we may try to find a way to do that because that would be ideal. Cool. Yeah. And I think that's about all I had for in-house stuff. You guys have anything uh, you want to talk about? No, not at all. Certainly not. All right. Well, I guess that means it's time for a hero shout out. Noise. 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 Uh, so this week's shout out is Carrie Creasy, longtime listener, longtime supporter of the show. Carrie, we see you out there listening. Thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Resweep. Thank you, Carrie. You're a hero. Absolutely. Creasy and- bear. Gotta go man on fire. <laughs> And yeah, if anybody else out there wants to become a hero, you know how to do it. Patreon.com slash filmjunk. 
Thank you to Carrie. Thank you to all of our heroes and all of our patrons. All right. So we're getting into Creed 3. This movie is just doing big box office numbers. So I think a lot of people saw it. But uh, we're going to take a listen to a clip. Here it is. Hey, my man. Can I help you? Let me get an autograph. Nah, I ain't signing the autographs, but you get off my car. Oh, holy. You don't remember me, huh? Come a long way from bumming rides from your mom. Damn. Boy, you had, you had, you had me. <laughs> Damien. Yeah, just got back to the hood. Stopped by the old gym, but, uh... Yeah, we upgraded a couple years ago. Huh? See? Damn, it's, 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 uh... It's been a minute. Been a minute. So, Creed Three is directed by Michael B. Jordan and stars Michael B. Jordan, Tessa Thompson, and Jonathan Majors. Plot synopsis says Adonis has been thriving in both his career and family life, but when a childhood friend and former boxing prodigy resurfaces, the face-off is more than just a fight. What did you guys think of Creed Three? Got to start with Jay. He's the the big Rocky head over there. Yeah. Okay. 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 Um, <laughs> I I enjoyed Creed Three. I I don't think it's my favorite i still think the first one the first creed is the best out of the three creeds it might be my second favorite i didn't have time to revisit the second one but i remember having some you know it was good being with those characters again and rocky and everything but there were some weird logic things or something character things that uh kind of kept it from really being a, a stone cold classic um this one it's simple it is there's nothing about it that's in in terms of plot nothing about it that's really that different from other rocky films in turn like in terms of the structure i guess with the fight and everything but i did like the idea of the rival being a friend a, a childhood friend i you know you can see where that's going from the very beginning and the trailer kind of tips you off a little bit but the strongest thing about this movie is the performances. The two leads, uh, Creed and, and Dame. What is the guy's name he, who plays... Um, Jonathan, Jonathan Majors. Majors. Jonathan Majors. He is amazing in this. I mean, yeah, he, I agree. His, just the, his choices and the way he delivers certain lines and the looks he gives. And like there's a moment in the one fight with Felix where he's sitting in the corner and just kind of like shaking his head you know like he's internally sort of analyzing what he needs to do to make this win happen and he's uh i thought he was great and and michael b jordan is great as well um and it you know it was just a very easy to watch simple doesn't really excel necessarily beyond like i said the other the first creed or anything but is a t dependable uh, story featuring these characters that I, I really enjoy. Rocky is missing from this one. I, I didn't really feel like he was missing, you know, like I was fine with not having Rocky in this one. 
it, if anything, it makes sense in this one because they're in LA now full time and he's still in Philadelphia. So, but it, it is kind of weird that there's, I guess, only like one name drop, you know, with Rocky. And it, it's always weird when two films set up this dynamic so tightly and, and then suddenly a new movie, you, you just get one name drop and you start thinking, okay, there's some sort of contractual thing going on or there's like, <laughs> behind the scenes drama i know sylvester stallone apparently is upset that they went ahead and did this film without him involved um so you know that that side of it is kind of weird but in terms of what i saw on the screen i thought the direction was was good uh the fight scenes uh i was identifying a number of anime references <laughs> Uh, in Which the is coming sequences. up everywhere. That's all anyone's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, he knew how to promote this thing, man. Just drop some mentions of anime it, and people are it's in. It's definitely resonating with younger people. I've heard younger people mention the anime stuff a lot. I'll be, I didn't recognize that, but he. I saw a quick interview clip with Michael B. Jordan where he talks about that influence in the fight sequences with like the sweat on the back and some of the slow motion and... I think it's more for his character, the idea of uh, visualizing their fighting styles where Creed is about focus and control and mm -hmm. like kind of moving out of the way and recognizing weaknesses in the other fighter and stuff like that. It's mostly used within the context of Creed in the movie, I think. Yeah, it, it's almost like uh, the way anime kind of analyzes a fight emotionally within the fight using slow motion and close-ups and things like that and i, I thought it's it was good um, similar to speed racer like mm -hmm. in the this which was a live action anime in a lot of ways the the snow fight in that movie where it's shifting perspective and rotating within the snow like similar yeah. ideas to that i would say yeah um, <clears throat> so that was cool I, I and he does do something a little different with the fight so some of the visuals on that moment didn't quite land for me, but I liked the idea where you're just kind of closing everything out. Um, you know, it feels like what there's been, this is the ninth film with a, a boxing match at the end. Well, if you're not counting Rocky five with a street fight <laughs> at the end, um, <laughs> but uh, he managed to find a way to capture a fight that felt different from the other films in some ways. Uh, and then, you know, the, the utilizing the documentary style, I, I kind of like it in these later films where, you know, it, it's, it's maybe not always aesthetically cinematic or pleasing or, or, you know, but the idea of them, I, I, when I was watching that, I was like, this is like tar, like tar and Creed where they set up these, scenarios that feel like you know you're seeing real news broadcasters like sports broadcasters and commentators and and it really establishes the reality of creed um even thinking about you know the way that rocky crosses over into reality with the rocky statue actually being in philadelphia and you know you could imagine younger people not realizing that rocky isn't a real boxer um so i, I like that that kind of uh, mythology baked in, but uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was, uh, it was good. That real life 
mythology feels like it started a bit with Rocky Balboa, mm-hmm. where it was the video game with old boxers and would this yeah old, like recreating that fight was kind of the the premise at the start of that movie through I think ESPN or something like that. I can't remember exactly. And the but, HBO broadcast style of the the fight. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm pretty much in lockstep with Jay. As uh, usual. <laughs> we're some, we're simpatico. <laughs> but the because I've talked to some, some people really love this movie. Uh, I, I liked it quite a bit, but there were things that felt a bit off. So to me, the strength, which Jay highlighted as well, is uh, Jonathan Major's character and the dynamic, especially comparing it to the Creed franchise specifically. The other fights, like it references the other fighters from the end of Creed 2 and Creed 1. And I could not have told you who Creed fought at the end of those movies. The, like the what that rivalry is or the, the second, the people he's fighting against in those movies fade out of my memory immediately where it's about building to this fight at the end. And both characters are well-defined, have their own arcs. And that interpersonal relationship is really strong. So that to me is like the biggest part of the movie and it's the most successful part of the movie. So, and I think like Jay said, both performances are really good. I tend to prefer, uh, Jonathan Major's performance, but I think that's more, he has like Creed's a little more subdued reserved. So it's kind of the, the nature of the performances as well that uh, I think his has more opportunity to shine in some ways, but it also leads me to my biggest problem in terms of the end of the movie or where things kind of go. Am I the only one that was rooting for Dame the entire time? And I, I feel like I missed some a pivotal scene when I got a popcorn refill at the li- at the, at the label party. I, I don't know, like I didn't. Yeah, you did. Yeah, like this. Yeah, you absolutely did. I think it builds him up as more of a villain, and I I didn't I missed that, and I was trying to connect the dots towards the end. Where I'm like, I feel like this should be the ending does not match what I saw. Where Adonis is a little like responsible for what happened. And I, I I don't feel like he really takes, it's a bunch of people saying like, Hey, it wasn't your fault. Like your lives went different ways, but I feel like the, there would be a little more guilt than he actually has about the situation. Um, so I, I still think the, the dynamic is great, but the, how things played out, something was off with me and it it might be because I missed some important stuff. Are are we doing a spoiler? I assume not. I, I think we should. I, I had a couple things I wanted okay. to talk about. Then and we, I mean, we should mention that in the spoiler. Yeah. Like I, I and like, I, I like the movie a lot too. I thought performance is great. Really like Jonathan majors as a villain. I do think, I mean, I'll save it for the spoilers, but the way that final fight plays out, I was kind of like, felt like something was missing there. So can, can I, I never really finished what like my negative thing with it was. And yeah. Jay didn't touch on it. The fights, feel a little low energy to me and it's not about the fights themselves. I I think it's the stadiums. Like it feels like the stadiums are empty and they're filled in with special effects. Um, Like the lighting and composition of the, the fights, something feels off with them for me. And I I don't know. It's been like that since the first one, the first creed. If you rewatch the the first creed, there's a lot of green screen work in the fight sequences. 
It might so, be partly the sound or the theater I was in, but it just felt like this does not feel like energy wise the the climax of the movie. Dr- dramatically, it did because of those two characters, but just aesthetics of a final fight, I, I, I didn't I didn't feel it. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could say like without spoiling anything, that final fight, it, it's there's a lot of kind of montages or like kind of skipping ahead to things. Like it doesn't doesn't have a lot of moments that I remember from it, like where somebody feels like they're in trouble or like, you know, something like that. Like there's not a lot of big dramatic moments in that fight. It's more about that stylized approach that he took, which was cool. But um, I, yeah, just in general, like, you know, I like Jonathan Majors as a villain. I kind of feel like there's just, it's such a simple story, which isn't necessarily bad, but it just felt like it was missing a little extra plot twist or something. There was like a couple things that I thought were going to turn into something, which we'll talk, we'll talk about in spoilers, but like I was waiting for some extra little thing and then just nothing. And I was like, Oh, okay. I guess that's the movie. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, yeah, I think I liked it better than Creed two. The lack of Stallone wasn't really a problem for me. Like I thought Creed two, if anything got a little too heavy into dipping back into Rocky history and stuff Whereas this is clearly like Creed is his own character, has his own path, and and this kind of sets it apart, and I like that. I, I kind of disagree. Where I didn't miss the presence of Rocky in terms of the movie being uh, like watchable or like missing it from the movie, but it does character-wise feel a little weird that he, st- he stopped boxing and starts boxing again, and he wouldn't talk to rocky about it or like that his there's other events in the movie where you think creed would be or sorry rocky would be present for some of that stuff uh dramatic elements that that's where his presence feels lacking a bit uh it's not like a this movie is not fun without rocky it's character wise it's it doesn't make that much sense based on the first two movies and the bond between them specifically relating to boxing and training but i do really like uh wood harris as duke and Mm -hmm. he's a a good replace like replacement for the for rocky um but character wise it did feel off to me yeah i mean and it's like you gotta kind of ask yourself like it would it if if they just mentioned rocky or gave a reason why he's not in it would that have been better or would you have then been thinking more about the fact that he's not there i'm not sure that's a good point. It would be worse for sure. And in the moment, I wasn't thinking about Rocky. It was more afterwards and talking to my friend. They had mentioned it. I'm like, yeah, it's when you when you think it. So I didn't miss it while I was watching it. But in retrospect, when you think about the events, it seems a little strange that he's not there. Yeah. And and I guess just one other point on that final fight, too. And and then maybe this is something where, like you said, you missed something with the, the label party, Frank, which I think... I don't know if that's what you're talking about, but there's something that sets up that, that first fight. Um, so I get the beach party afterwards where I realized something kind of flipped with the dynamic. Uh, but I was just missing some of the specifics, which I heard about after the fact. Okay. You know what happened? I do now, but I didn't piece it together until I talked to Corey. Uh, He kind of let me know. Yeah, so I was just going to say the justification for Dame getting into these fights kind of in both cases felt a bit 
like I don't know. It just felt like the movie kind of brushed by them because they they had to. The first one, there's a little bit more of a back and forth about it, but um, yeah, I just I wasn't fully buying the uh, the final fight the way it comes together. But I mean, obviously, we know it's going to happen, so I don't the know si- that I care that much. The cinematography, I liked it when it wasn't a fight. Anything in the houses and the parties, I thought it all looked great. I really liked the intro video, uh, the intro introduction music sequences for both fighters, uh, in, in not just in the final fight, but the earlier fights as well. I thought that was presented really well, but in the ring and the crowd that it visually did not seem to match the rest of the movie to me. Yeah. I think to me, it, it feels a bit like just a different approach because of the, the anime stuff, which is there. Like, I think it's, it's a lot more kind of uh, taking its time with focusing in on like giving each fighter's perspective and how they're strategizing and setting up certain things that happen in each fight, as opposed to just letting it play out. Like you're watching a live sporting event, you know? Um, so I think it's just a bit of a different approach maybe, but yeah, I like the close up stuff. Anything that's close quarters within the fights, I thought was really good. It was more the like shots of the ring and the, the, the wider shots that aesthetically were a little off to me. The one weird thing about the last fight is they set up in the first fight, uh, Dame kind of cheating Mm -hmm. and, in the second, the main fight, they refer to that, but it, it doesn't go anywhere. Like, yeah, Duke I mean, is like, <laughs> okay, this is around the time, last time that he started pulling out these cheating moves, so watch out for that. And then it just, just doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of one of the things I was going to get into a little more in spoilers, but like, it just, some of that stuff that feels like you have this, this you know, they build up Jonathan Majors as this villain who's like this guy who's kind of a bit, a little bit wild and you never know what he's going to do. And then it, it doesn't really pay off. Um, but you know, I guess the balance to that is there's, there is this emotional payoff at the end, but, um, yeah, I, what we can talk more about that in a minute, I guess, but, um, terms of other, I also like the score quite a bit. I remember, I remember really enjoying the score in Creed one. I don't remember the treatment in Creed two, uh, if it was similar to this, but how they're using like small melodic theme elements here and there. I I really like that. It's, it's got a nice hook when those moments happen. Yeah. So it's not the same person, right? This is Joseph. It is his Creed two. Is it? He, he was sure. the score programmer on Creed 2. I don't know necessarily. Jo- Joseph Shirley. Yeah, because it's, um, isn't it Ludwig Gorenson for the first one? Yep. But I, yeah, I thought there was some interesting stuff in terms of like, they kind of mix the score with the soundtrack in some interesting ways. Um, I kind of dug that. That's interesting because he has a credit on Tenet as music arranged by. So maybe. He also has credits of- on Mandalorian. Yeah, as a programmer in music, so maybe that is relating to how score and music integrate and mix together. Uh, yeah, and maybe he is a collaborator of of Gorenson's then. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I thought that was good. Um, 
yeah, I just want to touch on the some of the other supporting characters. Like Tessa Thompson, kind of I'm a little bit on the fence as to whether or not she like I think she has some good like where her character is and the way she um kind of interacts and and kind of um you know, she's a bit of a mentor in a way to to uh Adonis as well. Like I like that stuff, but it does feel like she's doesn't have that much to do here. Um, their um, their daughter is was, was she in the last one or no? She's born in the last one. Yeah, I think in the first scene she was just born. Yeah, so no, I mean, she's, she's she's no? they find out that she's pregnant. Uh, remember, he does that thing where he's like uh, trying to work up the courage to. Oh right, right, right propose to her and then the mom is like they were gonna tell her the news and she's like you're you're pregnant yeah and maybe the scene i'm thinking of is halfway i just remember mm-hmm. the the baby carrier thing mm-hmm. handle yeah so i mean she's a bigger part of this movie i'm a little bit i i wasn't crazy about where that's going or i i don't know i don't know if they're hinting at something that she she could be more like even more involved in another sequel i'm not sure but um i got the sense they were building up for an eventual series yeah. with that character or something like could that. could be or where it might go in the future i i don't mind that idea i mean i I, I think the questions surrounding not just his daughter being interested in fighting but you know the challenges that his daughter might face uh being deaf or the challenges that he's going to face with her throwing back at him that he's done this why isn't it okay for her to do it is it because i'm a a woman Uh, i think there's potential for some interesting uh drama there i did like the it's it's a pretty mild element of the movie but the the differences in parenting styles when it comes to conflict uh Mm -hmm. at the school i thought that was pretty effective in good character building stuff and it doesn't linger on it too much. Yep. And, um, yeah, I mean, not really that much else to say for me in terms of like plot or anything, because it is pretty straightforward, but yeah, I thought Michael B. Jordan's direction was, was pretty solid. I thought there were some cool shots and, uh, you know, like I've definitely seen, like there seems to be some, some sort of, social media reaction like people are aware that he's directing this movie and they're like pointing out things he does in the movie um which is cool i don't know like it's at least people are taking an interest in this kind of stuff but um but yeah i mean i'd be curious to see what he does next actually i mean i I think think he has some talent there yeah i mean for a first i i assume this is his first uh at least feature directing it's his only gig. directing credit on IMDb. Yeah. He he did a great job for it being his first. Yep, big time. Cuz I yeah. I I was a little skeptical like I when Stallone wanted out and uh he was going to direct it himself. That there's a a scenario where that goes wrong with a star directing their own movie and I think he did great with how he treated the material and the mm-hmm. characters. Yeah. And I guess in terms of like, you know, whether this is kind of going off in its own direction or not, like, I think it's still in a way, it's kind of an interesting callback because Rocky three is kind of dealing with some of the same things, like maybe not like 
somebody from his past, but the idea that, you know, you've gotten, you're on top of the world, you've kind of become complacent and, and I don't know, it just, it feels like it's, there is a slight echo there in terms of how that series went, but, um, and I think, uh, in terms of Stallone's involvement, I did hear like, there is this whole, um, kind of thing happening with the producer, um, of Rocky who owns the rights to Rocky that Stallone's, uh, had a major falling out with, but he also did say, I saw a quote from him saying that he thought this movie was too dark. Like he I can't remember exactly how he put it, but he said something like he doesn't think heroes should go into that darkness or something like that, <laughs> which I don't know. I don't know if I, that's, Okay, right, dude. I, did not I agree. Think the movie I, was dark at all. <laughs> I'm changing I mean, my mind. <laughs> yeah, it's that. It, I mean, based on I thought it was going to be darker than it actually is, but um, yeah, I don't. I don't think it's a major departure in terms of that for this franchise. So, mm-hmm. it it must kind of suck though. Like having I saw an interview with him. Uh, talking about how he can't pass Rocky down to his kids as like in terms of almost a family business or something. And it must suck, you know, not being able to do that. But I mean, he's gotten eight movies out of it and an Oscar. So the fuck else do you want, dude? I mean, he's got expendables, right? Doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, they, that's his baby. He can pass the expendables down to his kids. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Who's the nice. producer that owns it? Is it Irvin Winkler? Yes. Is that is that the main one? Yeah. Because there's lots of producers. That's the is he that sounds is he alive still? I believe so. He is alive. Mm. Okay. Okay. All right. A little behind the scenes prod porn for you. <laughs> All right. Um, any other non-spoiler thoughts on Creed Three? No. No, my theater was full. Uh, I went. I just happened to be in St. Catharines. I looked at the showtime. I'm like, it starts in five minutes. Opening night, Thursday night, and it was a packed house. Yeah, mine wasn't packed, but people were very excited when the movie started. Did you guys get applause at the end of the movie? No, but cheers at the beginning. I should say, uh, you know, a lot of people in the comments talking about how, how can 2022 be the best year for movies ever and then cinema be dead immediately after? <laughs> and I didn't, I said art is dead. And I said <laughs> movies are going to go like completely mainstream. And there is a very specific scenario where this can happen. It's when there's a pandemic and a lot of movies are getting saved up. Like everything, they didn't release stuff. They held it off for one year when people were going back in theaters. And that could be a boom that causes a release where less like smaller pictures get made and the focus is on blockbusters. The bubble burst, that huge bubble burst. And going forward, I don't think it's a crazy statement to say that you could have peaked and then things rapidly decline. Wow. Frank says the key to change is all in the way we speak to one another. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I don't disagree that. Noise. <laughs> I don't disagree that Frank sometimes talks in hyperbole, but I, I, I think there were two separate statements there. Great year for cinema. Art is dead. Like you could still have cinema, but not art. Exactly. <laughs> art cinema. Well, I'd tweak it a little bit there, Sean. It was best year uh, for cinema ever. <laughs> And art is dead. Those right, are the yeah. two hyperbolic. <laughs> the following year, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, Went out with a bang, not a whimper. It's. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What are you guys giving Creed 3 out of five stars? I'll give it a four. Yeah, I think it's a heavy three and a half for me. Hmm. It's might have a, changed if I saw the the label party. <laughs> might, everything might have made a bit more sense to me. Yeah, maybe. Uh, it's a four for me, right down the middle. Perfect four material. Stick around for some spoilers at the end of the show. Okay, we're going to move on and get to a few other things we watched. And what do you guys got this week? Should we do our... T- Did you guys watch the first episode of Mandalorian? Uh, Yeah. I love Mandalorian <laughs> compared to like these other shows. When I start them, I'm like, eh, I don't, it's okay. I was fully in on Mandalorian. The opening scene with the, the creature in the water and the intro. I was like, I'm so glad this show's back. I mean, yeah. I, li- I liked it. I wasn't like, I think the thing that I started to feel, and I don't know if this is going to continue with this season, but it just felt like, I don't know, just a bunch of random things happened. It wasn't, working towards anything it wasn't really there's no character stuff there it's just like some cool creatures and fights and we're done like I, visually i thought it looked great but and I, I think the last season started off with an episode kind of like this too so i don't may not mean anything but i guess well, i'm just there is a, a bit of a i mean it's it definitely has an arc in terms of the plot but it it is one of the shows that feels a little bit um episodic yeah mm-hmm. i like that about it mm-hmm. and i, I like that it's detached from at least for now from boba fett and the skywalker stuff to start again it's like a back in the world of the mandalore yeah and i like i do like the episodic stuff but it's almost like i almost feel like within the episodes there's not much of a complete story there but that's that's it. I, I don't know. Nothing like else to really say at this point. But uh, but that's what makes it interesting to me in the sense that not a lot happened in it, and other stuff I watch, it's a struggle to like get through sometimes. That it's so transparent and kind of boring in a lot of ways. This is like just it yeah, keeps it def- moving. Lots of cool Star Wars visuals. Uh, Grogu still rocks, and how he's like some of the shots of Grogu in the ship and stuff looked awesome. Yeah. And even that, like the fact that he's still like, you know, they're still pushing the cuteness stuff with him, but like, I'm not really sick of it. I'm still kind of think it's funny and I'm, I'm still enjoy it. So, yep. I thought I would be getting tired as I am with a lot of star Wars stuff, but no Mando is still rocking. Okay. Uh, what, what else? Uh, I, I watched one thing. I watched All Quiet on the Western Front, the last uh, Best Picture nominee I mm-hmm. hadn't seen. I was kind of, as I was watching it, at least at the start, 
it was a very conflicted viewing experience where I'm very aware that visually it looks like it looks like a mashup of 1917 and The Revenant. <laughs> it like it's it 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 wears its visual influences pretty heavily, but it also has its own merits visually. Like anything with frost, like when the grass is frozen with frost in the morning, and some of the the color timing and palette I thought was exceptional to the point where I was like, this is probably going to win best cinematography compared to the other nominees. And I was going to bet on it and it's like favored by a landslide <laughs> and the, the cinematographer really hasn't done that many movies. I don't think he's mostly worked in TV when I looked at it uh, briefly on IMDb, but uh, it, it does look great at times, but also while looking amazing, I, I, the lighting of 1917 is almost recre- like recreated with the flares and some of those ideas. It's very similar to that. Yeah. And the, the other visual element I didn't like was the, the mud and makeup on the face. It feels really over-designed. I kept thinking of the, the cover for Titus. Do you remember the, the movie Titus with Anthony Hopkins? Like I'm sure part of the makeup is having a consistent recreatable look for a frame of reference when you're when you're um doing it on different days of shooting, but it felt really stylized and kind of took me out of the movie. I, I didn't hate it either. I I just finished it. I I'm not quite sure how I feel about the very specific look of the makeup, and it's featured in a lot of the the stills for the movie. So I think it's a very conscious like designed choice. And I'm not sure how I feel about the mud and deterioration being that heavily designed. Um, the score is brooding and interesting. I liked it. Kind of, could have used a bit more of it, if I'm being honest. And I do like the idea of, I'm sure this has happened before, but I struggle to think of examples of viewing war from the perspective of the side that loses or surrenders. I, I couldn't think of many other examples. Could you guys think of any in general or with, within movies, like, like ex- examining, like this is the, like you see the surrender as part of the movie and it like adds to the futility. Uh, and I, again, it's an, it's a movie about like war is hell essentially, but it, it does add an element when you're viewing it from, specifically not the side that the country uh, you live in was on and also the side that eventually conceded. I yeah. mean, empire of the sun has a, okay, a bit of that. I haven't seen that. Um, Letters from Iwo Jima. Yeah. The, I mean, that's a good one. Like you see, literally see both sides. Uh, but Downfall. I can't, does letters of Iwo Jima have the surrender as part of it? I think it's more about the battle from two sides, right? Yeah, I don't think it does. So th- that is a very interesting element towards the end of the movie. Um, considering there's so many movies about war that I, I haven't really felt that in quite the same way as this. But uh, I, I liked it. I didn't love it. Kind of a, a, a seesaw the whole time, like a back and forth thing I really liked versus a thing that I wasn't that crazy about. So. Uh, but I'm glad I checked it out. I mean, I, you could probably say a bunch of Vietnam movies. Yeah, that it's are in a little, that territory as well. 
yeah, I don't think it was, I don't know much about Vietnam. It wasn't quite the like literal, they just pulled forces out rather than like they gave up rather than surrendering type of thing. So it's, it, yeah. I, I thought of that as well. Even just, I mean, a lot of the Vietnam films, even if it's not an actual scene of people surrender or uh, conceding a war, like losing a war, it's all those movies are like the war. Why are we here? <laughs> losing the war at home, you know, yeah. like, so it's kind of like not exactly maybe what you're talking about, but a little bit. This movie has more of an element like they are being pushed to fight until the very end. Uh, despite what other the the strings being pulled above them and not caring about their lives, it it does have uh, an interesting element there. Yeah, and I'm guessing that's all in the novel as well, which I, I've never read. Well, that apparently, I I don't I don't know about the novel, but I think in the the movie, the original movie, that's not there. the The view of like the people negotiating and stuff. I could be wrong, but I think I read that. I, I guess I was thinking more the con- how the movie concludes. I'm assuming is how the novel concludes. Uh, mm, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know, but it de- it it's hard to watch this movie and not think of 1917, Saving Private Ryan in the first half an hour, uh, even War Horse to some degree, and Dunkirk. The, the score feels kind of Dunkirk influenced, so. While it has yeah. its own ideas, it's hard not to think of other similar movies. Yeah. I mean, interesting thing. I've been seeing some stuff. Some people think, like, I don't know. It's Aust- third favorite to win Best Picture, or maybe second favorite. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, it's making this weird last-minute thing where a lot of people are saying it could could win Best Picture. Like, it's obviously pretty sh- sure it's going to win Best International Film, but could win Best Picture. So, it's kind of... I kind of... Th- if I had to bet on a... Uh, like underdog for best picture, I'd bet on tar. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Like if you're trying to get a, an odds, that feels like the one that is very low that everyone who sees it, that's in the industry, I think likes it. So it's kind what, of, this, what is the one that everyone thinks is going to win? It's by far every, everything everywhere all at once. Hmm. It's like a huge favorite. Nate, Minus seventeen hundred to the one, I think. Yeah, I might be getting that. Or like it's, it's not yeah, even I, close. I don't know when that happened exactly. I wasn't really paying attention, but yeah, everybody's saying like it's like among the the most favored best picture winners of any Oscar race. So I guess because of what it's doing and with awards in other spaces, like it, yeah. it didn't isn't it winning every award essentially? Yeah, um, although All Quiet on the Western Front won like a bunch of BAFTAs, which I think is why that's all of a sudden people are talking about that. But yeah, I don't know, man. I don't think. I think, I think uh, Everything Everywhere is going to win a lot of performer awards like it has been. I don't think it's going to win Best Picture. Yeah, it doesn't feel quite like the thing that would win, but I don't know. I don't know anymore. Yeah. Okay, Jay. Yes, I uh, rewatched a movie I hadn't seen in years called Ruskies from 1987. Nice. And um, it's, I find it weird that, I mean, I, I get it. It's not a great movie, <laughs> but it's weird that it's not talked about amongst 
your Goonies and, you know, 80s kids adventure movies. Because mm-hmm. it's right in that sweet spot. Um, it's basically about a, a group of four kids um, played by Joaquin Phoenix, Peter Billingsley, and Whip Hubley. Or no, that Whip Hubley is the uh, the Russian. The other kid hasn't worked again. Oh, Stefan DeSalle. And um, so it's this group of friends who live near an army base. They're obsessed with war and this comic book about a, a sergeant i can't remember the name now sergeant something like a comic book hero that's a war hero and um they you know are they're surrounded by military culture so they're always playing war and and they have a boat that they take out to the beach to this secret little bunker that they have as their hideout but it just so happens that the Russians uh, have negotiated with someone on this base to swap uh, or to deliver some secret uh, surveillance device or something that the Russians need. And in that process, one of the Ru- three of the Russians, um, their their boat, like their raft capsizes and they all end up washed up uh on the beach but the one russian who uh is kind of washed up by himself he loses track of his other pals he it's he's played by whip hubley and he's a a little a little russian man who seems to have a heart of gold and and it's the sort of situation where the kids initially are like we got a a Russian in our midst and that, you know, they're holding him at gunpoint and they're trying, they want to interrogate him, but then the more they get to know him, the closer they get to him. So it's got like a Encino man sort of vibe, (laughs) uh, monster squad, monster squad (laughs) vibe, like Frankenstein basically. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's not great by any means. And there are some really, uh, just classic 80s montages with music that sounds just exactly like other music you've heard in other uh, films. Sounds like Monster Squad. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it had been a while. It was interesting watching this. So it's directed by Rick Rosenthal, who did uh, Halloween 2 and um, uh, what else did he do? Oh, right. Halloween Resurrection came back for that but it's uh i remember watching this as a kid and returning to it i had thought that the kids in this movie were a lot older like i I seem to remember them as teenagers but i might be mixing this movie i used to mix up with toy soldiers but um they're very young so it just made me had me thinking like wow I, i guess the last time i watched this maybe they seemed like older kids but they're they're tiny little ones (laughs) <laughs> uh, and Joaquin Phoenix is credited as Lee Phoenix and Summer Phoenix plays his sister in the, in the film. And this of course, might've landed him the role in parenthood. Maybe. Yeah. Two years before. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I feel like I, I think I revisited this like a couple of years ago, but like, is this, did it just get a, like a physical release or something or is it, cause I don't think it no. ever has, right? I bought it on iTunes. Yeah, it is a little bit forgotten compared to some of those other movies, but 
I mean, it could be just, I mean, with good reason, but it's also very, uh, dated in terms of the language as a lot of these films are. Um, but, uh, like there's a point, a point where the kids are hanging out with the Russian and I can't remember what they're doing, but maybe carnival games or something. And, and then he like puts his arm around one of them and they're like, what are you doing? Like, and of course, you know where that's going. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's not a great film, but it just because of the walking Phoenix element and the Peter Billingsley, I would have thought that this would be talked about more amongst all of the other eighties kids adventure movies, but yeah, I mean, it, even, I mean we, it made me think, but I, after I watched it, I was like, we got to do like a cold war kids movie or premium, but we already talked about war games and uh, cloak and dagger and yeah, there's but, I mean, I, like, like we had been talking about Goonies as like maybe a one shot premium, but I really think there is like, you still have Goonies stand by me. We haven't done monster squad yet. Right. I feel like we I can't remember explorers explorers. But, yeah. but interestingly, the, these ones specifically are, are targeting that like kids, kids getting involved in the cold war, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. um, but yeah, it was, it was, fun revisiting it cool um so yeah i watched uh oh well so i i did some oscar catch-up as well had to watch to leslie had to you know check out uh andrea riseborough's performance and see for myself what you all are the, obsessed with this story what all the hype was about <laughs> <laughs> and i mean i'll be honest like i i think andrea riseborough is like an interesting actress just because half the time I don't realize it's her. Like afterwards I look it up and I'm like, Oh wait, that was her. Like she really is kind of a chameleon in terms of her performances, I think. Um, but this movie, so it's, it's, she's playing an alcoholic, uh, woman who like the kind of hook is that she won the lottery and kind of squandered her money away. And now she's, uh, you know, hit hard times and she's just constantly um kind of trying to freeload off of other people and uh her son takes her in for a bit but you know under the uh with with the rule that she can't drink and of course that doesn't last very long and and it starts off and it's pretty kind of like like her performance i think is impressive like you know not that i've personally known a ton of alcoholics but like just I don't know, something about like her hanging out at a bar half drunk looked very convincing to, you know, things I've seen out there. But like, I, I think it starts off and it feels like this very dark movie, but then Mark Marin comes in <laughs> and I knew he was in the movie. I don't think I realized he was like quite such a big part of the movie, but he like, he's, uh, runs this, uh, motel and kind of gives her a, a job cleaning rooms and, you know, becomes a bit of a love interest. And, you know, I, I, I actually didn't mind Mark Marin in the movie, but I have to admit something about just seeing him in there, like right off the bat kind of pulled me out of it. And I do think the tone of the movie changes a bit after that. Like, I feel like it, it becomes a bit more Oscar Beatty. And, uh, I, I kind of, I, I, I liked the first half and then it kind of 
second half I was less impressed with. Like, uh, you know, it, it was fine. It was enjoyable. And, and like I said, like, I think Mark Maron's performance is actually not bad, but I think there's just something about seeing him in this movie that it just completely went against what I thought this movie was going to be. So, uh, I'm getting maybe, crazy heart vibes and I'm getting see, yeah. mild place beyond the pines vibes from the screenshots. Yeah, maybe. I mean, definitely maybe it's just the uh, carnival. Crazy, crazy heart is probably a good comparison. And, and it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I think the performance is, you know, at least good enough to deserve a nomination, but I think it's, that is the standout thing about the movie. So, um, yeah. And then there's some other things like some of the musical choices are, were like super on the nose. Like at the beginning, she's in the bar and, you know, the song that's playing is the, camera what it's called but it's the eastbound and down theme song and it just i don't know maybe it's just because i know it that way but like there's multiple songs that just feel like the lyrics play out and of course i had subtitles on so you see the lyrics and it just seems so on the nose uh <laughs> but uh but yeah I, th I thought she was good in it for sure so that is to leslie frank back over to you that's it for me I, st I guess I, I, I'm not going to talk about it yet, but I started watching Chernobyl. Interesting. Didn't you start it? You started it before, right? Barely. Like okay. just dipped for five minutes. You dipped your wick. I watched the first episode like last night. So I'm mm -hmm. committed to watching Chernobyl now. Cool. I guess okay. in my head, I'm doing it to prep for last of us a bit. And I, I thought the, the director or the, writer of last of us directed the series he didn't he just wrote it mm -hmm. yep and tell a difference so far <laughs> what do you mean okay like he didn't he didn't direct last of us either the first episode he did i'm pretty sure didn't he? i don't think so yeah i don't know pretty sure it's he has directed some stuff but i don't know if he's directed that better confirm did direct the first episode okay i've only seen the first two You've only seen the first two of Last of Us? Correct. Well, I know the episode that just aired and the finale are directed by um, the, the guy who did Holy Spider and Border mm -hmm. Abbas. What is his name? Um, Ali Abbasi. Might have to check that out. I, I've been meaning to watch Border for a long time now. So. Nice. Very nice. Okay. Got to okay. scratch it off that way. Uh, I watched The Millionaire's Express, directed by Sammo Hung from 1986. It's a martial arts comedy film, um, seemingly set in maybe the, the 30s, about a train called The Millionaire's Express. There's, it's also called Shanghai Express, this movie. But uh, this train full of... Um, uh, wealthy the wealthy and this train is targeted by multiple uh groups of bad guys with with different intentions and sammo hung plays this character who is from the small town he returns to a small town he's a bit of a bit of a uh, a rogue you know like a kind of a good guy like a good guy slash bad guy um and his whole plan is to blow up the track so that the train has to stop in their town 
so that it unloads and these millionaires spend time and money in the the town in in hopes to revitalize it i guess uh it's it's definitely there are way too many characters and it's very plot heavy through a lot of it i found it kind of at times hard to follow just the way it cuts around to all of these different characters but once it lands on the simple premise of this track being blown up and all of these people flooding into the town it kind of settles into a rhythm and the last 15 minutes or so is just a great extended um action sequence which is a lot of fun and definitely lots of uh much like ruskies lots of inappropriate uh humor and but just really enjoyable there's a there's a scene at the beginning where Sam Hung is is rolling down a, a snow covered hill, and he's inside of a giant snowball, and they I, the snowball is obviously fake. So in order to give the impression of snow billowing off of this ball as it rolls, they actually animated the snow so it it looks like it doesn't look like snow. It looks like magic. Like there's just magic essence kind of coming off of this snowball <laughs> but um yeah it was it was a lot of fun nice some amazing stunts of uh people f- jumping off of buildings falling off of buildings the pictures hmm. the the screenshots look really fun yeah it's definitely like a shanghai noon and shanghai nights kind of feel but there's like, like the visual variety, like there's mm-hmm. deserts, like snow, snowy mountains, Western kind of stuff. Like yeah. the, the lead, is it Samo, is the lead Samo combo um, hung? Yeah. I like this dude. And, <laughs> and Sam Hung directed it too. Yeah. There's a really great fight scene uh, between Samo, Samo Hung and Cynthia Rothrock, which uh, I believe is like a, pretty well-known um fight sequence there's yeah, a did you cool. see uh on frank i thought you would like the clip i i don't know if you saw it what i put on instagram the, the, the snowball yeah yeah it was awesome i didn't yeah. know what it was when you where he pops that. out and it's like <laughs> i didn't have audio i didn't hear the audio you didn't no oh, that's the best part dude let me just play this <laughs> audio for i you. thought it was from Hold star on. trek or something because the previous post was from about star trek wasn't it i can't remember like klingon stuff or the klingon planet oh yeah this is good Very sweet. Yeah, I wouldn't mind. I feel like I don't like, I know there's Sam Hung worked with Jackie Chan on a bunch of stuff and then they kind of went their separate ways or something like that. Right. Is that. Yeah. He, Sam Hung ended up on uh what is that show? The American, like he made his, a, a transition to America. Um, was it martial law? I think so. Yeah. He, he had his own uh, TV show for a while. Yeah, I feel like I need to see some more of his stuff at some point. 
Um, all right. What else did I check out? Oh, I watched. So, okay. I watched two more of the, uh, best international film nominees. I watched Argentina 1985, which is currently on prime video. Didn't know much about this movie. Um, but it is about the, um, lawyers. It's kind of, it's kind of a legal drama, uh, but it's about lawyers that are trying to essentially uh, bring the previous dictatorship to justice, like right after the country has kind of overthrown them and democracy has taken over. But these dictators are still kind of there and they're still threatening people. So it's kind of like this, uh, you know, the, the, the people want to see justice done. Like, you know, they were uh, kidnapping people and killing them and, and terrorizing people. And so they want to see them punished for this, but at the same time, like the lawyers who are trying to make it happen are being threatened, having their family threatened and stuff like that. Um, and you know, it starts off the first 15 or 20 minutes. It's a little dry and it doesn't really, I, I was not feeling the, uh, what I thought the movie was going to be in terms of intensity and that, but it does pick up. But the weird thing is it's also kind of, light hearted in a way like not i don't know it seems weird to say because like obviously they do deal with some of these horrible things that happened that you see people on trial talking about like the the big thing like one woman was uh taken into a car and she was like tied up and she was pregnant and about to give birth and they were just like laughing at her and make her made her give birth like in the backseat of this car like crazy stuff. And uh, so you see these testimonies and these stories, which are real stories. And, uh, and that stuff's definitely moving and, and powerful. But then there is a bit of this kind of underdog vibe because they have this team of really young lawyers that they had to, because they didn't want anybody that was kind of part of the establishment or, or who could have been corrupt. So they got a whole bunch of young people that are kind of idealistic and want to make change in the country. And so there's kind of this underdog vibe through the whole thing. And it's uh, kind of a, yeah, it's, it's kind of a crowd pleasing legal drama. I, I enjoyed it and uh, would recommend checking it out. And I don't know, like, again, All Quiet on the Western Front seems like it's a pretty heavy favorite, but I think people have said if anything could upset it, this thing is a possibility. So, um, but yeah, that's on Prime Video. And then, uh, Frank, nothing else for you? Nope. Jay? Uh, I watched Ted Bundy from 2002, directed by Matthew Bright, who I talked about previously with the film Freeway, starring uh, Kiefer Sutherland and um, um, uh, 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 Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. Apparently, uh, Freeway 2 is coming to 4K via Vinegar Syndrome, so I'm curious to check that out. But Ted Bundy, uh, from 2002, starring Michael Riley Burke as uh, Ted Bundy. Very weird movie. Um, feels, I mean, it's it's like a really kind of sleazy movie. It, it really doesn't do anything to attempt to tell this story in a way that is sensitive or, or um, even maybe accurate. Uh, I know they, they went out of their way to ch 
change the names of the victims. I mean, I, I think that says something right there, even though, you know, uh, some of the, the better um, shows dealing with these types of stories are often criticized for, you know, why you tell the story at all. But um, this one, it's kind of just so lower tier that they didn't even mention the victims' names, um, I guess, because it felt disrespectful. So it's just a weird movie. It's It's got like a weird performance. It's weirdly comic at times. Uh, it's violent at other times. It has like kind of this strange aesthetic to it where it feels really uh, like high key lighting. Like it almost feels like TV lighting at, at times. Um, yeah, very weird. I, I I didn't look anything up. I'm not sure what the history is for this film. If it was like, if it was straight to DVD or or um, was a made for TV thing, I I can't imagine it was a theatrical release. But definitely a, a curiosity from a filmmaker that previously I had not seen anything. And the more I watch this stuff, the more curious I am about him. Oh, I guess it got a limited theatrical release. Is, <laughs> the, I just went to his IMDb page and uh, the photo of him is amazing. But um, the uh, is this a vinegar syndrome syndrome release as well? Yeah. Hmm. So they're really, uh, really just bringing out the whole Matthew Bright filmography. I assume they must have, gotten a, a package deal for for all of these films hmm. uh okay last thing i watched was eo which is now streaming on the criterion channel nice uh directed by jersey skolomowski skolomowski um, and he, uh i mean i don't think i've seen any of his other stuff but like obviously this is uh, referencing and kind of riffing on uh, Oh Hazar Balthazar, I don't think I realized quite how much it was. Like, I, like is this a, like a remake? Like, it? I don't know if that's been said or if it's been framed exactly in that. But it's like just every, inspired by spiritual successor. Yeah, like every review I see of it certainly references that film. So, uh, but yeah, so I mean, you just got. Basically, uh, you're following a, a donkey kind of through the these adventures passed off from person to person, and you're kind of getting these little vignettes of uh, stories of you know. So, you, so you're seeing humanity through the through the eyes of this animal, essentially. And uh, I would say, I mean, in terms of Oh Hazar Balthazar, like that one felt more like it was very focused on the cruelty of humanity and some of the. The, the negative stuff. I feel like this one's a little bit more, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I, I felt like it was a little bit more hopeful or a little bit more balanced, at least in that regard. But I guess there is a, a bunch of bad things that happen, so maybe not. But, um, but I did feel like the vignettes were shorter. And I mean, like the movie itself, I think is under 90 minutes. So it, uh, it just felt like you don't really have enough time to get pulled into each of these little stories so it feels just more like a uh uh 
I don't know. You just I, I just focused more on the visuals, which are amazing, and just kind of the experiential feel of it, as opposed to like any plot type stuff. Like there's, I just never. They were never long enough that I was really invested in any of the characters. It was they were all pretty quick, which which I kind of liked actually. Yeah, I'm uh, <clears throat> looking forward to revisiting this one, assuming it's going to come out on. Uh, I don't know that they would give it a 4K release. Maybe we'll see. Maybe, but yeah, visually, it's there's some really cool cinematography and just you know the. Uh, the scenery, the, the the donkeys, like good stuff. Yep, absolutely. Um, that's it for me. Okay, I I did watch Needful Things, but the I had a, a guest appearance on this the King Cast to talk about Needful Things. Um, I think they said that would be coming out in a couple of weeks, so watch for that. Cool. Okay, well, let's talk uh, DVD, Blu-ray, and VOD releases. And this week, uh, not a whole lot, but uh, Women Talking, I guess, is the main new release, uh, as well as the documentary Dear Mr. Brody. 4K releases, so last week, the Brocky, uh, what's what was that box that called? The Knockout Collection, I think? I think so. Which you were saying there were some issues with this, Jay? Yes. The, so the first Rocky film, the, there's a 5.1 mix and an original theatrical sound mix. The theatrical sound mix is just a down mix of the 5.1 mix. So that's a mistake. Uh, Rocky 2, I believe, is the one that's pitched down by like four or five percent rocky three the english track is fine but all of the other language tracks are pitched down four or five percent rocky four there's a scene when rocky's washing his car where the matting the wide like the matting disappears for a moment i think it's like 1.78 to one or something or one point anyways it disappears and then reappears so this thing has uh, issues all over the place. And then, you know, remember the uh, Rocky versus Drago director's cut came out. The documentary, the making of documentary, is 30 minutes shorter than the one that was on YouTube. Hmm. Just a big disappointment across the board. Yeah, so I guess the Rocky 2 is available as a standalone release. They all the are. There, there's... Uh, all four of them are available in steelbook form. And I don't know if there's a regular edition for all four, but there might be. Hmm. Okay. But I assume that, like, are those issues for the individual releases the same then? Yes. Hmm. Yeah, that sucks. Uh, other 4K releases, we've got Air Force One, The Mask of Zorro, and Mildred Pierce. Air Force One and watched... The Mask of Zorro are just Steelbook re-releases. Okay. I have not seen Air Force One in probably 25 years. Do yeah. you remember the uh, the plane at the end? The crash? The special effects being yeah. really bad? I think you might... Yeah. I, either you told me before or I kind of remember it. It's worth checking out. <laughs> it's like insanely 
terrible. I mean, I, I would be interested in revisiting that film at some point for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, catalog releases The House That Screamed, uh, The Fan, Tony Scott's The Fan, finally getting its own standalone Blu-ray release, although apparently not the best. Um, Problem Child, I bl- that must have been That's, out before, right? Yeah, this is yep. that Mills Creek release, I think. Yeah, right. Uh, Fear, I'll Cry Tomorrow, The Running Man, Secret Admirer, Camille, uh, Christmas, Bloody Christmas, The Crusades, Little Miss Parker, Asphalt, Making Mr. Right, and Fill Her Up with Super. And then on digital VOD, uh, Marlowe, starring Liam Neeson, Missing, I don't know if I'm, did I mention that last week? But uh, that, that's out now on VOD, 80 for Brady. Uh, Magic Mike's Last Dance, Close, which I think is the one of the other best international film nominees, uh, The Killer, and Left Be- Left Behind: Rise of the Antichrist. Got to check that out at some point. Um, new to streaming, we've got History of the World Part Two on Hulu and Disney Plus in Canada. Perry Mason Season Two on HBO. Luther Fallen Sun on Netflix. Uh, Chang Can Dunk on Disney Plus. And A Spy Among Friends on MGM Plus, which I think has already been out in Canada on Prime Video. I believe that's where I saw it. And then in theaters, we've got Scream 6, 65, which is the Adam Driver dinosaur movie. I Like Movies, which I've heard good things about. Uh, Champions, I Like Movies may only be out in Canada. I'm pretty sure it probably is. And Full River Red, which I think is the new Zhang Yimou film, which uh, probably a limited release for that. But uh, next week we'll be reviewing Scream 6. We may get to 65 the week after. That's kind of what we were thinking. But uh, Two movies with the number 6 in the title. It's very weird. Very weird. Well, just Frank, are it's you the rise uh, of the Antichrist? Six, six, six. <laughs> <laughs> We're missing one more. What was that, Jay? Are you vetoing anything or? Don't think so. Okay. Mm, Junkers on the Discord, I'm looking to you. I need these early jump scare reports from Scream. It's going to be tough. It's full of jump scares. Please focus on the majors. <laughs> How do you know people aren't just messing with you and giving you incorrect reports? Because they're cool and they're the junkers and they would never do that. Okay. I would never want to give them any ideas of anything like that. So, um, okay. Anything else you guys need to mention? I am not alone in my dislike of jump scares. It's many people appreciate these jump scare reports. You need to start your own site. Like, I mean, where's the, site the jump? exists? Where's the jump? It just, they never keep it up to date. I know. That's what I'm saying. You got to undercut them. You got to be more up to date. It would be I, perfect I agree. For, some, <laughs> for someone who worked at a movie theater. Cause you could preview the movies and like make detailed notes. I'm, at some level while I'm watching it, I'm trying to pay attention to the movie. I can't be getting specific times with things. 
you got to start schmoozing, get in with the studios and have them give you detailed reports straight from their oh, or just get screeners. Yeah. Cause it would like incentivize them to like for people who don't want to see them in theaters, they would, if they had this information. Exactly. That's not a bad idea to pitch it to the distributors like that. <laughs> Studio exec Frank. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, don't forget to check out the Oscar pool and Oscar chat this Sunday. Filmjunk.com slash Oscar pool. If you want to enter that, check out the discord and uh, anything else you need, filmjunk.com. And until next time, see you guys later. Bye-bye. There's nothing I miss about VHS. Absolutely nothing. Holy shit. Did I, is this a political topic? Are you guys not wanting to no comment. this? Or what? No comment. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to go down that path. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you that much. Okay, let's get into spoilers for Creed 3. If you haven't seen Creed 3, you can stop listening right now. So I guess I'll just jump in and continue with some of the stuff we were talking about with the, the final fight. So, I mean, yes, as you were talking about, Jay, I thought for sure, like the whole thing with, with Dame in the previous fights, he fights dirty. And I thought that final fight was going to be a bloodbath. Like I thought it was going to be, I, I thought if anything, I thought, and, and maybe partially thinking about um, Stallone's quote about it, be, it being too dark. I thought Adonis was going to have to start fighting dirty in order to kind of e- even the, the, the score and uh, neither happens. And if anything, I actually thought I was a little disappointed that it felt like Dame wasn't like, yes, he goes the distance with with Creed. Like it's a it's built up like this epic battle of like they're they're kind of equally matched, goes to the final round. But uh, I thought Dame was going to be more of a threat. Like I thought there were going to be points where Creed was down and and I mean, I guess he does knock him down first, but. I don't know. Just never got to that point where I was actually scared for for Creed. Well, I mean, I, I guess they have to temper it a little bit because it is a story about someone who's just out of prison after 18 years getting a crack at the world championship belt. Uh, so that in itself feels a little bit of a stretch in terms of... Uh, you know, they comment on it enough times that he's too green to even get a chance at the belt. But um, because this is coming off the Rocky franchise, that's how the whole franchise started with Rocky getting a a chance um, and pulled out of obscurity. But it feels like if they push it too far, like if Dame is too powerful, then the believability of that is stretched even further. So I, I wonder if they just decided to keep it more about a mental 
battle than a than the physical one as much because you know you have those moments with like the double and triple exposures when they're looking at each other in the corners and seeing the their younger selves and um clearly it's demonstrating some sort of mental side of of the whole thing but uh that i mean that's the the kind of trouble i guess if you want to call it that of having a character arrive out of nowhere and need to be given the opportunity opportunities that this character is given in order to have any effect on the plot yeah that reminds me of my one criticism like in the current like you know tmz tabloidy nature of society i thought dame would lean in if he wanted a fight opportunity lean in more to the the past with adonis and how he neglected him and make that public to to if he really wanted the shot that would be an easy way to get there i can't remember how he actually gets so i think what you learn at the label party is he sabotaged the other fighter via a promoter he he someone he was in prison with smashed the hand of uh the other fighter and he got him to it somehow or is that yeah they okay. rocky's mom turns out she kept all the letters that dame was sending and she shows him a picture and dame is in the picture with the guy who smashed the hand i feel like i missed a connection there. yeah i well so i didn't like i assumed that was the case i didn't make the con- connection with that picture i guess i forgot what that guy looked like but well they they um, show because they go out of their way to show him in the the news report they show his face and then she hands him the picture and it close does a close-up on that guy's face yeah i knew it was significant but maybe my head was buried in popcorn during the (laughs) well so but that brings up the point though like so even if so uh if if drago gets hurt and they still need this fight to happen. And I don't like, I'm not, I don't follow boxing. So I don't know how realistic this is. Like, I assume that, that there is some realism there that, you know, if somebody drops out of a fight, you, you don't want to lose that. You still want to salvage it. Sometimes somebody comes in. Like, I'm yeah, you've only that, got so many fights in your life and it takes time to train for it. It's a huge financial opportunity. You don't want to miss out on. Yeah. But it, I mean, it still feels like a bit of a stretch. Like, I don't know that one. They at least justified a bit more, uh, but then I feel like the final fight between Dame and, uh, and Donnie, like, I feel like they, like, it's just like an immediate, like, okay, it's on, we're fighting. Like, and, and like, um, Tessa Thompson's character kind of just says, do what you got to do. And it's just like assumed that that's how you should deal with this. Like, I don't know. There's no debate or discussion as to whether that's the proper way to like, cause he's retired now. Like, so, I mean, I get it. Like we all want to see that fight. Just let's get it. Let's make it happen. But I don't, I don't know. think I the movie be... needs to explain this fact because they're, they're, they're the same age, right? It's not like he's going in against someone who's, you know, much younger it's like someone like there, there is an age component to boxing as well. So I think it, it kind of makes sense in the context of the movie. I didn't have that many uh, major questions about it. Yeah. I, I feel like overall as well, it, it really is more about the two of them hashing out what happened in their youth rather than the actual match. 
And I feel like, again, that would have been a bigger part of the promotion of the fight. Like it's, it's only they're really aware of that dynamic. And I think it somehow would make its way into the, into the world today. Like they would be, they would be hyping that up to sell the fight. Yeah. Well, before he went on the, that, um, whatever that program was that, that he went on, like they were saying that, uh, Dame had been kind of shit talking him in the media and stuff. So it feels like, I don't know, maybe he wasn't specific, but some of that story was out there, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I don't know. I just, I thought there would be at least a little bit more in terms of justifying it, but they just don't even bother. And also with the, the last fight in there not being a payoff to the whole cheating thing, it's weird that there isn't, but I'm kind of glad there isn't because the number of fights we've seen where someone does something dirty and then, you know, you have to recover. And I I just feel like it would kind of extend that fight in a way that feels kind of done. And also would, I don't know that he necessarily would cheat the same way to Adonis with Adonis than that he would with another contender because there they have a history, but also I think he wants to beat Adonis more than the other person because they have this relationship of Adonis having been kind of under him for uh, the beginning of his career. So feels like there's more to prove in that fight than just the physicality of um, who's the uh, better boxer. That reminded me of one thing I liked uh, with the physicality of the fighting. The, the when the mouth guard his tooth gets knocked out and he pulls out the the mm-hmm. mouth guard and the tooth is loose, like just like some of the highlighting the violence of boxing. I thought it did a, a good job with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess we should mention Felicia Rashad. Um, their character dies in this. I mean, I guess it feels like you need something like this in there to have a little bit of kind of additional internal drama for for Crete but uh I mean it was pretty pretty quick little section I thought I did like the, the idea that she was withholding the letters and stuff though like that feels like a pretty pretty believable realistic thing and uh and you know how that kind of affects their the relationship between um Crete and Dame like that that's uh I don't know I bought that 100% so yeah and then I guess we could talk briefly about the daughter. So as kind of we're alluding to, like she's in this movie interested in becoming a fighter. She's, she's fighting with people at school. I mean, that's more of the section that I was not, I don't know. So I feel like that's just rehashing stuff that did they kind of hinted at stuff like that with the first Creed movie. Like just the idea that like somebody um, grows up with like a fighter as a, as a parent or something. And that, that somehow is in them and like, I don't know, dealing with that stuff. I didn't like that so much, but then the idea that she's actually going to potentially become a fighter. And if they do kind of give her her own movie or something, that could be interesting. Uh, but I mean, the amount that they're setting that up really does feel like it's going to be something. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I didn't, uh, it didn't 
not work for me. I mean, if there's a movie that reflects that the most, I would say it's Rocky Five, where um, uh, Rocky's son is getting into fights at school. And but with that movie, it's like it kind of shows the other side of that dynamic where he wants his dad to train him, but his dad's busy with um, uh, machine gun or Tommy gun, Tommy gun. All right. <laughs> so he's kind of fighting for his dad's attention. But right. um, yeah, I, th I thought it worked. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I, I, it's more interesting than if she wanted to become a recording artist because of watching her mom. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's about it in terms of spoiler stuff. Anything else for you guys? I think that's it for me. That's it. Shut her down. All right. Thanks for listening.